and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hello. It is the year 1997. And it is. George Clooney is the sexiest man alive, I think. I, I imagine he is. I actually don't know that, but I'd imagine he is. Um, the Spice yeah. Girls are cool. Uh, yeah. I do a podcast about the 90s. You'd think I would more about 1997. So. <laughs> So we're talking about the uh, 1997 offseason in our first edition of this uh, NBA 20 Years Ago uh, series. And, uh, you know, we're coming off the Bulls uh, winning their uh, second championship in a row, their fifth in seven seasons, of course, beating the uh, Jazz in uh, six games. Uh, but all was not necessarily well with the Bulls. There was a lot of... Um, a lot of drama going on, you know, and, and not uh, the, the the future for the Bulls was a, a little bit uncertain. You know, you got Pippen, who's, who's rumored to go to Boston, which is fine, because I'm kind of over the Scottie Pippen thing. Uh, this is actually interesting. I, I read this in the, the Tribune, you know, uh, of course, earlier today. Uh, or actually, it was back in June. It's, of course, September now, but back yeah. in June, this is uh, the Bulls. Uh, late, they were considering trading Scottie Pippen to the Boston Celtics for the number three and number six pick in the NBA draft. Of course, that did not happen, but uh, pretty interesting there. The Bulls reportedly would have used the picks to select Utah forward Keith Van Horn, uh, Kentucky guard forward Ron Mercer, and guard forward Tracy McGrady. So that could have been the new Bulls. Um, I mean, I like that they kept Pippen, but, you know, I'm kind of interested in a little Keith Van Horn, Ron Mercer, Tracy McGrady, Michael Jordan, Tony Kukoc yeah. mix. I think well, that would be pretty how are fun. Wait a minute. How are they going to get all three if they – I have, have no idea. The Tribune would never lie about this, so I, I don't okay. know. Somehow they were going to get all three. Um, What's this from oh, among? Oh, no, 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 sorry. I, I, missed, I missed a gigantic word there. Uh, select from among those three. So yeah. two of those three they would acquire. Uh, either Keith Van Horn, Ron Mercer, Trace McGrady. I'm hoping Keith Van Horn and Ron Mercer. I don't know anything about this high school kid, and I don't like high school kids. I don't trust them in the league. I want Van Horn. I want Mercer, especially Ron Mercer. That's a reliable player right there. They, yeah. only, they only grow good ones in Kentucky, right? You know, you're not gonna, this McGrady guy, who the hell knows what's going to happen with him? He's high schooler. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, we want established college <laughs> players. We, we, and exactly. from the United years. States, quite frankly. Yeah, we don't really <laughs> right, want yeah. anyone from any other country other than the United States. No, yeah. I know. There's like this dirt guy that I see in Germany. Eh, who knows what's going on with it? In yeah, Germany? Like, they don't play basketball in Germany. What the hell is he doing? No, but, uh, right. Uh, yeah, there's other issues too. You got Phil Jackson, his contract's up. Uh, General Manager uh, Jerry Krause and, and, and Chairman Jerry uh, Reinsdorf uh, told him last week that, uh, you know, if he wants to coach another year, they would see after the draft. Of course, the draft did not you – know, they didn't trade Pippen. Uh, they did not acquire Keith Van Horn and Ron Mercer like we all wanted. So uh, Jackson decided he will stay, um, you know, another year. So, uh, this is it. After this year, it's over. Jordan's gone after this year as well, presumably. Pippen, of course, that's the end of his road. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff there. But, yeah, that's a quote from um, – uh, Jerry Krause, beyond this contract, Phil's agrees it's better that we part company. Uh, at the end of the next season, there will be a new coach here. We certainly want to look at building for the future. And I, for one, am super excited about the Bulls' future post-Jordan and post-Pippen. I think it's uh, really going to be good, particularly if you can get Ron Mercer. You know, At some point, if you can find a way to get Ron Mercer, I don't know how you're going to do it, but if you could, you add Ron Mercer to a core of you know nice, young, post-Jordan, Pippen players. And I think this Bulls thing, I think you can go right back at it. 19 you know 2000 2001 be right back in the mix so i'm pretty excited yeah. about uh this the next chapter of bulls basketball which i i, I only see positives coming from so I, I mean organizations win championships and we know <laughs> that the bulls organization has been you know tremendously successful so i, oh, sure. I can't even without you know the best player in uh, basketball history 
I'm sure they'll be just fine. Yeah, and, and this is pretty interesting, too, in the end of the Chicago Tribune. They said, with uh, with all the principal components in place, the Bulls are prepared to go out with a bang. Uh, a bang, of course, this this upcoming season, which, you know, we all... I mean, they've got a solid team. You know, one past two playoffs, you know, past two finals, you know, going for the, the, the repeat, three-peat, which will be pretty fun. But, uh, yeah, after the season, they're going to start from scratch with a younger set of players. This is according to the Chicago Tribune. Who knows if this is going to happen? They're going to start from scratch with a younger set of players and an upstart coach, possibly Iowa State's Tim Floyd. And uh, I've heard only good things about Tim Floyd. So yeah. combining Tim Floyd, the potential for maybe at some point down the line around Mercer, young players, maybe you hold on to Tony Kukoc, sky's the limit. I mean, this this team is 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 going to be you know able to just weather that storm immediately after Jordan leaves. So I, I'm very excited to see what happens. Uh, yeah. Here. Also, re- real quickly though, another you know because it's not it's not an off season with the Bulls without melodrama is that um, so this was I think in either July that that we read this and and you know of course it didn't happen. But what I'm interesting is that another rumor making the rounds is that the Seattle Super Sonics were again ready to deal unhappy forward Sean Kemp to the Bulls for Pippen and another player, uh, a trade that teams failed to pull off on draft day in 1994. Uh, Pippen and Kemp have roughly comparable salaries. Uh, Pippen will be a free agent after the next season with no guarantee that he'll stay. Uh, Kemp's agent said, as a very good quote as well, he said, there's nothing to comment about. Uh, this is Sal DiFazio, uh, Kemp's agent. He says, anything is possible, but I don't think that's possible. So anything could happen except for that, yes. which is not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's fair. Hey, and, you know it's it's. I, I appreciate the uh, honesty from Sal there. It's good. Big Sal. Good. Yeah, yeah. So so everything's looking good for yeah. the Bulls. We're gonna you know make a run at the finals this year, and then afterwards we, we got it ready. We know our next coach. We know what we're doing. We know the plan. And as you said, organizations win championships. So I can't wait. Despite the Bulls um, winning sixty nine games and uh, and beating the Jazz in the uh, finals to sixty four wins, Carmelo uh, was actually the MVP that year. He. Um, had uh, 986 points to Jordan's uh, 957, 63 first place votes to Jordan's 52. Uh, you know, honestly, stat wise, it was really close. Like, I don't think it was like you know, um, like wrong to give it to Malone. I mean, obviously, you know, we didn't know what would happen in the playoffs, and once it did happen in the playoffs, obviously Jordan played much better in the playoffs and led his team to victory, and Malone did not. But um you know some people considered it kind of a you know they were they were bored of jordan winning and you know wanted to give it to carl and, and you know i i can certainly see that but it wasn't like i i feel like malone was undeserving of this no and and you look to another big part of it too is, is is you know the year prior the jazz went 55 game which is very respectable i mean pretty solid you know you know win and then they jump it up to 64 wins the next season so obviously you you see you know a team that's sort of doing a little better and there's obviously reasons why and we'll, we'll talk probably a little bit later about you know some some reasons why a few teams you know jumped up and and, and were you know obviously eating off of uh, you know some expansion teams that weren't doing all that well but but still there was an expansion team the year prior and, and they only won 55 games so them you know I think I think it's it, it's partially that you know hey do we just want to give it to Jordan every single year but it's not like Malone was just in a completely egregious you know choice as well his stats were, were right up there with Jordan's and his team had you know really big turnaround as well and propelled themselves into the NBA finals and into the picture uh for a title when they really hadn't been you know in that mix necessarily for for, for a few years I mean we we have talked previously on, on other shows about how that early 90s jazz team actually made you know some decent runs and and could have actually had a a jazz bulls series you know maybe in 1992 uh and then sort of fell off a little bit and had some you know not necessarily fell off probably a little bit strong but you know kind of gave way to some other 
you know, powers in, in the West. And then, you know, now this next season, they improved to 64 wins and, and they're really there. So, no, giving it to Malone is, is, is I don't think, as egregious as, as some people kind of make it out. Some people make it out that the only reason he won is because everybody was bored with Jordan. It's like, well, no, he's very, he's, he had a very, very good season as well. I mean, obviously, pure statistics, you'd probably give it to Jordan, but it's not like Malone is, is egregious by any standpoint. Yeah, it's almost a coin flip, basically. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, third was uh, Grant Hill, uh, fourth, Tim Hardaway, and fifth, Glenn Rice. I mean, um, <laughs> so, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Grant Hill, yeah, I mean, he, he was really, really good during that time. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tim Hardaway and Glenn Rice, they were both, you know, like kind of impressive, but that's not guys you would usually think of as, you know, top five uh, uh, guys in the league. But yeah, Tim Hardaway, he was also um, all NBA first team along with uh, Malone Jordan. Um, Hill and Akeem Olajuwon was the other uh, All NBA uh, first team that year. Uh, Rookie of the year was uh, Allen Iverson with 44 votes. Uh, Stefan Marbury, 35 votes. And Sharif Abdurrahim at 25 votes. Also, Antoine Walker and Kerry Kittles received votes. Um, and uh, Kobe Bryant uh, only played 15.5 minutes per game, averaged 7.6 points per game um, with a uh, 54 true shooting percentage. He made the second team, but was not really a uh, not really playing enough to be on the uh, you know to, to be a rookie of the year candidate. Uh, mm-hmm. And, th- and this, this is why I don't trust those high school players. I mean, you know, <laughs> this Bryant guy it comes with all this hype, and yeah, yeah, oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, McGrady, it's like. Uh, Oh, can't like, even play can only play 15 minutes a game you know what what do i want that right, ball on my i mean team? i want someone yeah, who's gonna exactly. help me they, now they, they, i i want to carry kittles you know, i want gonna... vladi yeah i want vladi back i want vladi back and i want this because the lakers are really missing vladi Divac yeah in a lot of ways right and, absolutely and this vladi shack combo can really take them places oh but, yeah you, know, you can you can play two take big the guys risk together. with this kobe guy so whatever yeah <laughs> I, it is yeah. what it is, but uh, this is also fascinating too. Anthony Mason, top ten MVP voting this year, tied, tied, tied. Jason with Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> yes, well, well, Shaq played like so. Shaq only played like fifty games that year, so that that's. <laughs> but yes, that that was uh, that stood out a little bit as well of uh, a little bit of a surprise there. But yes, also how about this guy, Tom Gugliotta, tied for seventeenth. <laughs> that's exactly. I think yeah, I'm sure he was seventeenth best player in the league that year, so that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Um, yeah, also in the rookie class, of course, this was the famous, you know, everyone talks about this rookie class, Ray Allen, Steve Nash, uh, Peja Stojakovic, um, Jermaine O'Neal, Jerusso Gauskas, and uh, Derek Fisher. Um, to Kevin Batempo, he uh, was defensive player of the year, second and third years. John Starks was sixth man of the year, and Isaac Austin of the Heat was most improved. He had not played in the league in the uh, previous season. I believe played for the Clippers before that. Everyone leaves the Clippers and plays better, so uh, not a uh, not a tremendous surprise there. Yeah, and actually had a few, uh, had, had another good year uh, as well after, um, for, for uh, you know, uh, a, a little bit. I mean, he, he was a guy who, like, you, you know, had a real, like, odd, like, little career resurgence when he was, like, 28, 27, 30, and then kind of fell off a cliff after that and really was never heard from again after, I believe, either 2001 or 2002. So, uh, pretty interesting there. But, yeah, for him to win most improved is, is interesting. I think he played in either France or Turkey as well before. So, Isaac Austin there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I don't know where Isaac Austin, you know, Austin 316 says I'm going to win the uh, most improved player of the year. So you're breaking up a little bit there. What would I, I, uh, I should just say in uh, Austin 316 means I'm going to win comeback player of the year. <laughs> I don't know what that means, Jason. Uh, what do I let me? No, I, yeah, 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 you, yeah, no, I know what that means. You know, yeah, you're you know right. what you're that right. means? Yeah. That means. Yes. Yeah. You, yeah, of you, course. You I was know what that means for like a year. I the, yeah. Yeah, I did. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But, you know, it's, uh. 
Yes. Um, you're right. He, he had played his neck. Despite, I don't know if that Stone Cold guy is gonna gonna really do anything either. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. if you saw SummerSlam '97. I know um, we talked about it, but uh, I don't know if you actually did. But uh, yeah, Owen Hart dropped uh, Steve Austin on his neck and it broke. So, yeah, uh, it, he may never wrestle again. I don't said. know. 1998 is gonna be a tricky year for WWE. Uh, or WWE. <laughs> WWE? I don't know what that is. I'm Rich. trained. I'm too trained. Yeah, what is WWE? Why would you call it E? That's weird. <laughs> I don't know why you would do that. I don't. Why would I replace the E with an F? That is so. I silly. don't know. What, it's, what, it's, what, what came over me? I, I apologize for that egregious. But I do know what Austin three sixteen is. Yes, you're right. Of course I do. I'm wearing that shirt right now, and it's either this or my Cartman shirt. I either wear one of the two, and of course right now. I'm wearing <laughs> uh, yeah, shirt, so. uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, uh, I'm wearing a Cartman shirt as well, and I am, <laughs> right. and oh my god, I can't believe they killed Kenny. Yeah, can you believe that? Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to be able to kill Kenny every single episode for, for how many more seasons is going to go on with this killing Kenny. I mean, oh, I mean, no more than so. five seasons, I don't think, before. Right, well, I mean, it's not that the show's show. going to last very long either. Yeah, the show's, you know, the shelf life of that show in general. I mean, it's a bunch of, you know, foul-mouthed children. It's a cartoon. I mean, three seasons, four tops, if, if Comedy Central even left to go on that long. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, uh, excellent point, which I think, I think you're uh, predicting the future very well here. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, one odd thing is that there was a record number of coaching changes. In fact, there were 12 new coaches who were going to start full season. So some of them had, repla- had been replacements from the previous season, but there were, at least starting their full year, there were 12. So, um, the Pacers went from Larry Brown to Larry Bird. The Sixers went from Johnny Davis to Larry Brown. The Celtics went from ML Carr to Rick Pitino. More about Pitino in a few moments. Uh, the Blazers went from PJ Carlissimo to um, Mike Dunleavy. The Warriors went from Rick Adelman to PJ Carlissimo, which was this. This was the second time that Carlissimo had actually succeeded Adelman <laughs> in a, a job. He'd already done that for the uh, Blazers before. Um, the Nuggets went from uh, Dick Mata to uh, Bill Hanslick. The uh, Magic went from Brian Hill to Chuck Daly. The Grizzlies went from Brian Winters to Brian Hill. And this was also the first full seasons for Greg Popovich of the Spurs, obviously, Eddie Jordan of the Kings, uh, Bernie Bickerstaff of the Wizards, and Danny Ainge of the Suns, who had replaced Cotton Fitzsimmons very, very early in the previous year. So he basically was his second season. But technically, he had not done a full season before. So anyway, interesting. Yeah, crazy. There. Yeah, yeah a little, real crazy. And a lot of, like, you know, the same names going to different places. It wasn't like there was a full clean sweep. Like, you have a lot of guys that are just kind of moving on to, to some, you know, upgraded jobs and some, you know, getting sent off and, and, and downgraded in some ways but uh yeah it's crazy the amount of movement that season just I, I wonder if there was a particular reason for it if there's any you know sort of theories as, as to why it was so nuts that year but. yeah well there was a lot coaching salaries were escalating a lot during that time so that was part of it um obviously that, that brought patino away from kentucky into uh, boston uh you know larry bird becoming coach of the pacers was a huge deal i mean that was a really yeah. big you know, thing at the time he had never coached before you know, he brought in, um, you know, brought in Rick Carlisle and, you know, brought in an experienced staff, a bigger staff than was, you know, kind of traditional at the time and did a lot of deferring and, you know, and, and the, you know, we're going to talk about it as, as things go along, but the Pacers had a lot of success once he, you know, the, they were, the Pacers reached a certain level with Larry Brown, but Bird was able to kind of have a different approach and they succeeded, you know, in an even higher level, um, in, uh, in 98 and, and going forward. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the it was between that and Patino. I think were the, really the two like ones that were like a big deal at the time. You know, Patino's coming in in Boston. Not only is going to be the coach, but is the GM or and president of the team. Red Auerbach actually like was his uh, his title of president of operations was taken away from him. He was given you know like some a different title. I mean, he was still around and was an advisor, but 
um, you know, that was definitely kind of an ego thing. I mean, it's hard to imagine the Celtics uh, doing that, but they had struggled, uh, f- you know, for a few seasons after, you know, uh, Bird and McHale and uh, Parrish, you know, retired or left the team. And, um, yeah, I, they, they were really uh, – that was quite a, uh, a controversial move and, uh, you know, one that obviously events are going to happen over the next few seasons that we're going to be talking about going on, so we don't need to get into it uh, too deeply, but he had you know ideas of, like, you know, running a press – uh, we're going to see, you know, who he, he had, they, they had two picks in this draft. We're going to see who they picked and how quickly, you know, they, uh, uh, changed things around. It definitely was, a, a a guy who was, uh, you know, going to put his imprint on that team pretty quickly. Yeah. The Patino thing I remember being, you know, and even reading back in a lot of the old articles at the time, I mean, that was a game changer. I mean, that's a guy who's an established, you know, top tier college coach coming to the, the pro ranks. And, and that was while that was still, you, you know, we, we've seen, in, um, you know, recent years, of course, you know, jumping ahead to a little bit of our, our, our future, but you know, we've seen that, that it's, you know, at, not as big of a deal now. People sort of understand that there's kind of that learning curve, but, but we're talking about, you know, 1997 taking ourselves back in that point. This was a time when, when that was still a very big deal. And that was still a big coup to get a guy, especially a guy like Rick Pitino, who had a ton of success as well and give him the reins to an NBA franchise too it, it seemed like I mean everybody seemed to think okay well this is going to work because this is a basketball mind this is a basketball guy he gets it he knows what is going on and 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 this is a franchise that that was a once great franchise that needs a you know a swift kick in the ass and Patino's the guy that's going to give it to him so uh definitely interesting to see sort of what was being read about it or what was being written about it at the time and, and it seemed like most people were, were on board and um it seemed like it was going to go well for a while and then and, and we'll talk about it but uh yeah yeah and um you, you... Like, um, you know, Patino had had success with the Knicks, you know, coaching before. So he had some NBA experience mm-hmm. and, and, you know, wasn't like he was completely there. And, uh, you know, other college coaches had come in. Obviously, John Calipari, who was still coaching with the Nets, and that had actually gone, you know, reasonably well to start off with. I, I believe they made the playoffs uh, that year for the first time in a while. A while. So, um, you know, it, it, it ver- things once, um, you know, uh, Calipari and Patino did not do well, the, the idea of, Hiring college coaches kind of went away for a while. There have been a few um, major instances, obviously Brad Stevens and you know Billy Donovan in, in recent years, but um, I, so but, but yeah, that that the, those were kind of the, I think the two cautionary tales where it, the, kind of the NBA moved away from that. Uh, Tim Floyd as well, who we uh, uh, might become the Bulls coach at some point. Um, also, another one where that uh, became a difficult situation. Yeah, no, certainly. Yeah, and. Um, one of our favorite topics that we've talked about uh, a bit before, but uh, this was really a watershed year in um, new uh, Jersey redesigns that were basically universally awful. Yeah, this this is we, we had an old episode about the 1999 that we decided was the, the worst year in Jersey history. A lot of them kicked off here in this 1997 season. Uh, you know, redesigns in, in terms of New Jersey's coming up. The Golden State Warriors they change their logo and get new uniforms. They go to the weird lightning guy thing that you know we we really hated. Uh, the United Pacers decided that they need a lot more pinstripes on their uniforms, so they go with that. Uh, the New Jersey Nets, uh, they change their logo and get new uniforms as well. That one's not, I don't know, not quite as bad. That one sort of works, but I, I, I did kind of like their other stuff. The 70, 76ers, you know, ditch their, you know, the, the standard red, white, and blue that they had for so long, the Stars, and go to the weird gold, red, black thing that they kind of did. Uh, and the Vancouver Grizzlies get their new alternative uniforms, which we talked about as well. They're one of the universally <laughs> most, I, you know, I, they have a charm to me, but one of the worst jerseys probably ever. But I, I enjoy them, the one with, you know, all the trees and shit on it. <laughs> like the green with all the trees and it's kind of a disaster and a mess but uh yeah other uh, a few other new uniforms as well right jason we should have mentioned this but the uh 
um, the big change, the big branding change was the Bullets officially becoming the Wizards and yes, debuting yeah, new, yeah. new road and uh, home uniforms and also had a new arena uh, during that time. Uh, the Hornets had uh, a tweak to their uniform, which was kind of more neutral. The uh, The Timberwolves went from kind of their classic look to pretty much the look that ha- they've had. There have been some tweaks. There have been some changes to it here and there, but kind of the look that they had um, – you know, up up until this year, where they finally, you know, really kind of went away from that. Uh, the the Knicks added the black piping, which I really always hated. <laughs> yeah. uh, the the Sonics added their red alternate. Uh, um, the the uh, those yes. are those are hideous, man. I hate watching old Sonics games for, yeah. for this exact reason. Those are really tough. bad. Uh, the Pistons had a uh, red alternate, which they had redesigned their jerseys the year before. You know, along with the Rockets and you know Usher and uh, some and and the Sonics and uh, there was another team too. They all Usher and really bad ones. Uh, the Bulls actually got rid of their pinstripes and had the plain black alternates, which I think you were a, a bigger fan of than the pinstripes. Yes, yeah, and, the pinstripes are, are horrible. And, and, and then the Kings went with their purple um, alternate, which was I think a little bit better than their the one with the uh, like the checkerboard. The and, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, the 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 Finnish flag, the flag was was a terrible one. So yeah, the checkerboard flag was was awful. So no, that was that was a a, a small improvement for for the Kings. But yeah, overall, uh, pretty nasty. I mean, it's, uh, particularly you look at at those, you know, the new logos and the new kind of redesigns or whatever. Mostly, look at the 76ers, You know, destroying. You know, you're getting rid of their classic um, uniforms, a classic look, and classic branding. Which you know, of course, they've come back to that as well. But but this like the the gold, red, black was just kind of a disaster. And the Warriors. I mean, we've we've seen now. You know, can you imagine the, this current Warriors team going the run they are with those like hideous jerseys and the horrible logo that made no sense? Like oh, they're just yeah. so much better now. What they kind of changed, it, you know, eventually turned into. But uh, yeah, this uh, the Warriors at this time made the very odd choice to go you know, with, with just a really bad <laughs> rebrand and and stuff. But I think the big story is, is the Wizards and the Bullets. I mean, that that's kind of a transcendent one. And, and um, it's only been recently, I, I in my mind, I'm, I'm not sure what you think about this, but only recently where the Wizards have finally kind of felt like like they belong in Washington. Like even though I grew up in an era where you know most of my basketball viewing was the Wizards, I always kind of still remember the bullets. I remember the logos. I remember the colors or whatever. And I always thought that's their colors. You know, the black, red, or, or the red, white, and blue or whatever. Not the you know bright blue and and, and gold that they sort of embraced uh, there for a while. And it's been interesting to see them sort of re-embrace the old bullets uniforms despite being the wizard name. But for a while there they were like literally the wizards and like you know they had to have the wizard logo and like the the logo had to have the w in it and the w had to be like a wizard's beard and so like there was a lot of weird like they were very much like we are literally wizards for a few years and, and thankfully they've they've kind of moved on to that so yeah and that was a big it's kind of i mean it was a controversy at the time i mean they they changed the name it was you know april and the owner wanted to uh, you felt like bullets had the connotation of gang violence and you know, really wanted to move away from um, that, which I understand, um, you know, uh, I get it. But, yeah, it was definitely not a, a change for the better in terms of their look or their or, you know, just kind of it, it felt either bullets, for, you know, for whatever it was, the, the uniforms and the branding, it felt very classic and. Wizards definitely did not feel classic at all, and at least now that they have the old style uniforms, you know, I, I think it they, they feel more like a, it, it has more of that classic feel, and I, I, I think it, I think it works fine now, even though the, the name isn't absolutely favorite. I think the uniforms were the greater um, problem, and now that they've gone back to the basically these the bullet style uniform. I think it's totally fine. But oh, absolutely, yeah. So the uh, 1997 uh, NBA draft was a um, 
obviously best known. It, it was not did not really have the talent that the '96 draft had in terms of just lots of depth, but. Um, some notable uh, draft um, picks. Uh, number one was uh, Tim Duncan out of uh, Wake Forest, uh, signed or drafted by the San Antonio Spurs. Of course, the Spurs had uh, had one down year because of uh, injury to uh, David Robinson for most of that season, and um, uh, and some strategic tanking to get uh, Tim Duncan that worked out uh, pretty well. Uh, the worst team that season, the uh, Celtics had two uh, first round picks. At number three, they picked Chauncey Billups. Number six, they picked uh, Ron uh, Mercer. Uh, second was Philadelphia with Keith Van Horn. Philadelphia had, had picked Iverson the year before. Uh, more on Keith Van Horn in just a little bit. Um, some others that uh, stand out, uh, the Grizzlies at four uh, got Antonio Daniels. Uh, Denver at five, Tony Petit. Uh, the Nets at seven, Tim Thomas. Uh, Golden State at eight, Adana Foyle. Uh, at nine, Toronto with uh, Tracy McGrady. At ten, Milwaukee with uh, Danny Fortson. Um, a couple others uh, that um, uh, that uh, stand out to me: um, Derek Anderson, number thirteen, with Cleveland, and they also got Brevin Knight at sixteen, and um, and uh, Bobby Jackson, twenty-three, uh, with Seattle, were uh, some of the other. Uh, uh, key ones as well, and a couple of those were actually uh, were actually uh, traded. Um, the um, the yes, the the Bucks traded a uh, Danny Fortson, Johnny Newman, and Joe Wolf to the Nuggets for Irvin Johnson. Uh, the uh, the Clippers traded Stanley Roberts to the Timberwolves for uh, Stojko Vrankovic, and the Nuggets <laughs> traded James Cotton and a 1998 second round draft pick that became Richard Lewis to the Sonics for Bobby Jackson. So. Uh, those were the notable draft day trades themselves. And a couple of days later, there was a, a big trade involving a, uh, a draft pick. Yes, you had the uh, June 27, 1997, you had the Philadelphia 76ers trading Michael Cage, Lucius Harris, Don McClain, uh, and Keith Van Horn to the New Jersey Nets for Jim Jackson, Eric Montrose, Anthony Parker, and Tim Thomas. So kind of a transcendent or, or, or presumably transcendent uh, draft there for those or, or trade for those two guys. And, and a really rare one where you have a lot of, you know, competitive players going different ways and, and particularly Keith Van Horn, you know, going away um from the Sixers and going to the New Jersey Nets um, is, is an interesting one for him being, you know, such a high draft pick uh, and traded. But, you know, when they're getting back a, a pretty solid group of players, too, in terms of Jim Jackson, uh, Tim Thomas, Eric Montrose, and, and, and Anthony Parker. So not a, not a terrible low, but, yeah, just a, kind of an interesting trade and, and a, sort of a, uh, an odd one to make. But uh, I guess it, it in a lot of ways, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it's a strange trade. Yeah. Who do you think had the better career, Keith Van Horn or Tim Thomas? Oh, man, like that's the, see, that's what I yeah. mean. Like it's kind of tough. Like Keith Van Horn should have. It seemed like he was going to, but then Tim Thomas just like lasted for like eight more years after. You know, I, I, it might be Tim Thomas. Like, is that weird to say? Uh, no, I don't think it's weird. Van Horn had a high peak, but Tim Thomas had a long, long, long career. Yeah, well, he played thirteen years, and Van Horn played nine years. Um, and Thomas played like three thousand more minutes in his uh, career. Um. So, yeah, I, I would say Van Horn was slightly the better player. Uh, I, like, Thomas, like, at his best, like, because, I mean, he he was, you know, he had a couple of those, like, you know, like we've talked about before with those weird times where, like, he just showed up in the playoffs and was, like, tremendous. Like, <laughs> the best, that, yeah. That year with Phoenix. So, like, yeah, uh, maybe his absolute, like, peak um, was probably the better. But, like, Van Horn, like, probably had, like, the better, like, best season of the two. So Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, too. I think people forget how good Keith Van Horn was his first few years. And, of course, injuries came to him and, you know, bouncing around the league or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who really good score for a few, you know, big years. Um, 
with, with the Nets and, and later, you know, a little bit with, with his old, you know, original team, the 76ers, before he kind of fell off the, the track a little bit, you know, obviously went to New York and then went to Milwaukee, then Dallas and, and kind of lost. But yeah, for a guy, I mean, pretty solid career in those first few years and really the first three or four years in, in New Jersey was, was a really, really good player. But yeah, of course, injuries kind of played a, a big role in, in, in his decline happening, you know, faster than what most people expected. Yeah. And, and like Tim Duncan, you know, basically the last four year college player who was you know, like undisputedly the best you know player in a draft and was you know the was the prize of the draft and you know everyone kind of understood that he would be I mean I mean obviously no one knows that he's gonna you know be a guy who you know wins five championships and all that stuff but he was like right. I, I, on track for all time you know he was a guy who people felt like was going to be great right away and, and had the potential to be an all-time great and obviously he you know he exceeded those expectations but you know he did really really well um you know um obviously was a tremendous player so interesting career for him yeah no, absolutely oh yeah which is obviously <laughs> cover of nba jam a little bit of an understatement well. interesting yeah. career for him but yes he, he was it, <laughs> it, 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 it's weird like one of those weird things it's like he just he did just about as well as everyone kind of expected him to do you know yeah, so right. yeah um so yeah the um the free agency you know if we're looking at later in the summer as we get into july and august um 96 again was a year where obviously Shaq went to the lakers there was a lot of player movement a lot of like big things happened uh this year not so much um you know kind of staying with their teams immediately uh jordan and rodman re-signed with the bulls uh sam cassell goes back to the nets uh, joe dumars goes back to the pistons uh robert ori back to the lakers patrick Ewing back with the Knicks, Nick Anderson back with the Magic, Kevin Johnson and Rex Chapman back with the Suns, uh, Ben Wallace, who was not really important at the time, but obviously became important later, resigns with the Wizards. So those are like some notable guys who you basically, within the first couple of years of free agency, were already back with their team. So the one really big change um, in the first you know week of free agency was David Wesley of Boston signing with the Hornets as a free agent for seven years, 20 million, which... Yeah, uh, that seems just nuts. Yeah, but... Yeah. You know. Yeah, I solid mean, player, but yeah, yeah it, it is, seems like yeah. crazy. The year, the years, more than anything, it's right? Like seven, you really want David Wesley for seven years? Like yes. you don't have to take him. Like, yeah, how about four? How about four David Wesley years? Like, does it have to be seven? Right. And, and some of the other <laughs> ones, you know, the in August or, or July, and then in into August, uh, Bryant Reeves signed an extension with the Grizzlies, six years, sixty-five million, which is uh, he'd already kind of been a disappointment. So uh, the fact that they're invested that much into him. Uh, not good for the Grizzlies. Um, <laughs> no, Doug, Doug Christie. Bold prediction that tr- that that deal is not going to go well for the Grizzlies. So. Yeah, uh, Canada's other team made a, a, a better extension, uh, seven years, twenty-two million for Doug Christie. Um, and then not really notable at all for the time, but became important <laughs> later. The Detroit Pistons traded Otis Thorpe to the Vancouver Grizzlies for what ended up being a two thousand and three first-round draft pick. Uh, that was a. Uh, uh, Darko Milicic, but obviously could have been um, Carmelo Anthony or Chris Bosh or uh, Dwayne Wade. So, um, so, so fun times there. That that was where that, uh, you know, having no idea, of course, that they would end up, you know, uh, that trade would, um, you know, come to bite them in that way. Yeah, right. I, I do. One of my favorite things in, in NBA history, whenever we talk about things, are like the deals where it's like, eh, we'll give you a draft pick in 10 years, like 2017, who knows, whatever, who cares? Like that happened with, you know, Baron Davis and, and the Cavaliers as well, where it's like, ah, whatever, just here, there you go. And it ended up being, you know, Kyrie Irving or whatever. So, or the Clippers and the Cavaliers. But this one's particularly fun, too, because, I mean, you're looking at, you know, 1997 to 2003, they're like, oh, whatever, this league's not even going to be around, who cares? Like, 2003, whatever, take it. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. fine. And it's right. like, oh, damn it. Like, yeah. We really could use that draft pick. <laughs> I, I, 
I remember that draft lottery year because that was obviously you know whoever's going to get the first pick is going to get LeBron. And if the Grizzlies, who were of course by then in Memphis, if they had gotten the number one pick, they would have been able to keep the pick and get LeBron. And then I remember Jerry West's reaction to uh, <laughs> oh, the to not this getting that. Yeah, so. <laughs> He was not. He was He's like, haven't I lost game. enough? Like, I keep losing. Like, just come on. Can something come up, Jerry West, one time? Yes. Never. yes. Um, so, uh, taking a slight break from the transactions, uh, the uh, August fifteenth, nineteen ninety seven, is the release of the uh, Shaq's summer blockbuster Steel. Oh, this is gonna be great, right? Yeah, I, it's just gonna be fantastic. I, are you gonna be in line the first day for oh, watching? Oh, yeah, Steel? of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, you got Quincy Jones, you got Shaquille O'Neal. Um, that's it. But <laughs> hey, you know Shaquille O'Neal, that's pretty cool. So yes, yeah, so so, Sha- so Shaq stars as John Henry Irons and his alter ego Steel. Um, <laughs> in order to stop a weapons dealer, Irons and his partner Susan Sparks create a suit of armor <laughs> that leads Irons to become the super hero <laughs> Steel. So yes, Quincy yeah. Jones Cooper. It. Uh, yeah, I mean it's got to be great, right? <laughs> it had his name on anything bad. Yeah, it had an estimated budget of 16 million and grossed just over 1.7 million at the uh, box office. So uh, this is, a, of Oof. course, the before the time in which comic book movies were guaranteed to uh, make money. They were not nearly as common uh, during this time, and this uh, they were also bad all the time. They were always bad, <laughs> except for like you know even even the you know Batman early Batman uh, of the 90s. They were okay, but like Superman has historically been horrible for much every Superman movie. Uh, I don't know if that's a hot take for you, Jason, but I, I, but you know they're, they're good. But the, I, the era of like, I don't know if you're a big Christopher Reeves fan. I don't want to get you know. I don't want to. Uh... No, I, I'm not a big Superman guy, but I but I was like the first couple of Batman, the the Michael Keaton Batmans. I do enjoy. Yes, those, those are solid. Those, those were good, but those almost yeah. those almost defied like the comic book genre at that point or the comic movie genre at that point. But yeah. usually, like you're saying, like they were not guaranteed successes at this point. And and this is you know you get steal a comic book and then you get a star like Shaquille O'Neal who wasn't just a basketball star too. This is a guy who was all over the place to transcend it. You know, uh, a big reason why he wanted to go to L.A. too or a big reason why he was so willing to embrace L.A. is because this would open up opportunities like this for him. So, I mean, for it, this to flop as much as it did, uh, that was, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> interesting times there in, uh, uh, in, in Hollywood. For, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to look at, at how much Shaquille O'Neal made that season to see uh, so he made 12.8 million dollars in salary that year uh so what would we got here 1.7 at the box office so it basically made the same amount that sean rooks made for the uh the lakers at this point he made one, uh, 1. 1.4 million and cord blunt's yeah. 1.4 million as well so they did just put you know uh sean rooks in there i think they uh, would have been okay <laughs> well, sean rooks is steel. yeah all yeah. right yeah sean i believe yeah <laughs> you watch sean rooks over cord blunt i could see that cord blunt seemed like a boy no. sean broom no, 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 i mean i i would watch a sean rooks like Corey blunt like you know if they were both in it somehow you know right yes well rick fox uh only made one million that year and he ended up being a pretty uh pretty big deal in hollywood that's and, a good that's a good the, point yeah the small screen the, the you know very handsome guy one, so yeah oh very handsome yeah, oh very yeah handsome. It, it, handsomest nba player of all time oh man um is it rick fox or man he's got to be a contender right oh yeah man. most most handsome nba players ever i mean he you do get lost in his eyes um they are beautiful yeah uh, <laughs> yeah john wall's pretty handsome um jj reddick's up there yeah, everybody uh, kind of uh jj reddick's pretty handsome guy yeah that's true um some people yeah. like chandler parsons he's kind of doofy looking eh, to me. man it's yeah. probably rick fox and rick fox is is pretty uh 
Yeah, it's it's. I think it's Rick Fox. I'm gonna go with Rick uh, Fox. We'll, we'll go with Rick Fox for now. We're, we're, okay. We're, yeah. We reserve the right to table and to uh, you know, determine <laughs> later. You know, we'll this do Google our image search. If you do a Google image search for most handsome NBA players, it brings up some very odd uh, choices that I would not consider handsome at all. All right. So. Well, fair enough. We'll, I'm not gonna name them. That would judge. be very rude. You yeah. Know, they, they, most of them will. Yeah, because we are the most two of the most handsome people. Oh, I forgot about Wally's world. Wally Wally Zerbiak had a nice chiseled face. Yeah. A classic, like, Hollywood hunk style Wally Zerbiak. But, uh, That's true, yeah. There you go. But no, well, anyway, I'm going with Rick Fox for now. <laughs> fair fair enough, yes. Um, so, well, Dr. J, he was a really handsome guy, too. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's tough, you know. Um, anyway, so Steele, uh, despite not doing well, it lost slightly less money than the uh, the Dennis Rodman, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Mickey Rourke movie Double Team, which came out in April. Made $11 million with a budget of uh, $30 million. Um, Double Team would end up winning three Golden Raspberry Awards for Worst Supporting Actor of Dennis Rodman, Worst New Star, also Dennis Rodman, and Worst Screen Couple of Rodman and uh, Van Damme, while Shaq lost to Kevin Costner, who was in The Postman, as Worst Actor. So uh, so I guess it <laughs> I don't was... even remember The Postman, to be honest. I what I, I thought for sure it would be like Waterworld. I was like, what the hell? I don't even remember The Postman. Uh, was... Yeah, it, w- it was some like post lock apocalyptic thing i think um and oh, he's big into that at that point so. was a post fan yeah, was... yeah so yeah um yeah I, I, i'm not gonna watch it i so never saw it fine. no <laughs> yeah so have you ever seen double team uh double team's all right i like double team as a kid and and even today it's like if you go in thinking it's gonna be like this great movie like you're gonna miss out but if you're like there for kind of like an hour and a half of camp it's very campy and that's fine like okay. i was i was i liked i like double team it's fine i i would not i would not totally be against watching double team sometime you know maybe maybe so. our christmas special we have to yeah you and i there just you do go. A live, <laughs> live commentary <laughs> that's of double a great team, idea you know? yes i i think we're gonna do that now the yeah. thing where we get drunk and, and watch something yeah that'd be good yeah that's, team, that's, so. that's a great idea yeah we'll we'll we, get uh we'll get poor curtis Curtis has to come yeah. on. And Curtis has like, to come on, yeah. So, he's like, oh, yeah, come we'll really, guys? Like, you're going to make me watch yeah. Double Team? Like, yep, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, good call. Um, I can't yes, wait. Let's so, just do it tomorrow. Let's, uh, let's just yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Team thing tomorrow. Quite early. Um, so, meanwhile, in uh, actual basketball, some notable things that happened. The uh, Golden State Warriors traded away uh, Chris Mullen uh, for uh, Eric Dampier and Dwayne Farrell. So, uh, Mullen said goodbye to the Warriors, went to the Pacers where Larry Bird was coming in. Um the uh, Charlotte Hornets signed Bobby Phils from Cleveland as a free agent, seven years, thirty-three million. Unfortunately, he passed away in a, in a crash in two thousand. Uh, the and um, were you required the, to he, sign seven-year deals this year? <laughs> like, were you not allowed to sign anything but seven-year deals? Like, everybody's like, yeah, seven well, years. like uh, that's yeah, that, that was that was the max you could uh, sign at this point. Well, this is why there's a lockout coming. Uh, <laughs> you know, right? It's, spoiler alert. What are we doing? So, like, uh, presumably, I mean, it, it, the intentions are high, Jason. Yes, the. Um, so the um, the Phoenix Suns signed Tom Chambers as a free agent, August twenty second, ninety seven. Uh, you expecting to bring Tom back into the fold? Unfortunately, uh, other things would happen, and they would end up trading Chambers um, to the seventy sixers for Marco Milic in uh, November, exact almost exactly three months later. And Chambers would play one game before retiring that season. So uh, with the six, Marco Milic, Marco Milic is not a real person. That's that's. Is he a doppelganger? Does he look like Darko Milicic? I would hope. I it's very possible. You have to do image person. Uh, and, I was sure and, they're not know, the same person. And that's I am, maybe why Darko wasn't very good because it was like I've already been in the league for like years. Yeah, you know? I, I'm not sure, but I'm you know because I, I don't know a whole lot about Marco Milicic. That, that sort of extends my. I'm knowledge. looking. They uh, they are right. not very uh, similar at all. This okay. one's six. Uh, Marco Milicic is only six six, so I do yeah. not think he is the same person. Well, I mean, he might have grown and became Darko. You know, it's the, you're right. You know, you're very right. I did yeah. not think that he you that's, know. Yeah. Uh, 
a late growth spurt for Marco Milic. So. Yes. Uh, so some of the notable things, uh, the uh, Trailblazers signed Brian Grant for seven years, $63 million. There was a bit of a snag there because there had to be a hearing to determine the status of Senator Chris Dudley and his. Um, there was an issue of trying to circumvent the cat by rene- renegotiating a contract to get a NBA minimum, but it ended up all working out okay, and Chris Dudley actually ended up signing with the Knicks, so everyone was uh, happy with that situation, but briefly uh, cause for concern. Um Robert Parrish officially retired on August the 25th uh, from the oh. Chicago Bulls, of course, ending his uh, very, very long uh, career, <laughs> a 22-season career, in fact. So, uh, yeah, you could definitely play the, your, your uh, favorite uh, six, uh, six, oh, degrees. six degrees. Six degrees. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he is, yeah. he is like the one, like like him and Kevin Willis are ones like Because I remember that, that, that game I mentioned on, on, on Slate.com, they have a thing where you can put two NBA players in uh, and, and they'll connect them. Like, pretty much I'd say like 95% of the guys you put in for somehow are Kevin Willis or Robert Parrish because those guys played for, you know, 22, 20 years or whatever. They almost connect just about every single person. And then I think like Moses Malone is the guy that always comes up to uh, as a large connection just because you get the ABA connections and you get some classic uh, because, you know, ABA has some of the, you know, really old school NBA guys there. And then you get some of the young NBA guys sort of, you know, coming together in those. But yeah, Robert Parrish is one that certainly comes up quite a lot. And and yeah, you can do six degrees of separation with just about anybody uh, to get to Robert Parrish. A few other notable signings in August going into September. Um, Rick Fox, a free agent with the Celtics, signed with the uh, Lakers. Uh, speaking of, uh, of handsome men, uh, <laughs> September, uh, Mookie Blaylock signed an extension with the uh, Hawks. The uh, Mavericks traded Derek Harper and Ed O'Bannon to the Orlando Magic for Dennis Scott in cash. So Dennis Scott leaving his longtime home of the uh, Magic as they're retooling in the post-Shaq era. Um, Greg Ostag signed an extension with the uh, Jazz. Bob Sura signed a contract extension with the uh, Cavs. And Rashid Wallace signed a, a rookie contract extension with the Blazers, six years, eighty million. So not quite seven years, but uh, six years, uh, decently long um, extension. And uh, I would say the big news of the uh, end of uh, September is the uh, the Sean Kemp trade. Uh, the Cavs uh, mm-hmm. trading uh, Trell Brandon and Tyrone Hill and a first round pick, uh, a conditional first round pick, the to the Bucks. The Bucks would get uh, or. Uh, Yes, so the, so the Bucks would, would would get there. The Cavs would get a Sherman Douglas and Sean Kemp, and then the uh, Sonics would get uh, Vin Baker from the uh, Bucks. So uh, obviously, a, a Sean Kemp had been very unhappy for the entire season, so it wasn't necessarily a huge surprise. But I guess going to the uh, Cavs was a little bit of a surprise at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was not the team that, that you sort of expected. Uh, you know, it kind of came out of nowhere a little bit there. But, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed pretty inevitable that Kemp and the Sonics were, were, were going to reach that impasse. We talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the, the potential to go to the Bulls in, in, in 1994, 1997. Well, things were a lot different. 1994 was kind of a shock and, like, hey, we can get Scottie Pippen at the pick of his powers. We don't want to give up a guy like Kemp. By this point, though, Kemp had sort of worn out his welcome in Seattle. He wasn't very happy there. Uh, you know, obviously, you still have George Carl, uh, uh, Gary Payton, you know, two very opinionated guys, and, and particularly Carl and Kemp, you know, they had sort of broken down a little bit. So it was kind of the beginning of the end of, of, of the Seattle run. But you know, they had a very good run together. But, yeah, for him going to the Cavs, uh, kind of came out of nowhere. And that's, you know, again, that Cleveland is a team that just has not done anything in, in, in what seems like decades. I mean, it had almost been since the early 90s since they had really um, – you know, even even been a blip on the radar. So seeing them sort of get a guy like a Kemp, who at this point, of course, is still you know arguably at the peak of his power, is still a very dynamic player and still kind of a game changer here. It seemed like a really big deal for for Cleveland uh, and really put them in the mix now as a team in the, in the Eastern Conference that could, could could make some noise. Yeah, and I mean they had those good teams in the late eighties, early nineties. You know, uh, Price and Doherty and and, and, and yeah, that yeah. crew, but they did not have a, a guy who was like a star in that group. 
Like, no one was as big of a star as Kemp. I mean, Kemp was legitimately, like, a top 10 star and, you know, was you know, famous for his dunks and was a guy, was, like, really marketable guy. And he was only 27 at the time, you know. Um, so he was, you know, theoretically in his prime, although, you know, things would later turn south for him, although he did have a couple good years for the uh, Cavs before that really happened. Um, but, yeah, I, the uh, the quotes from George Carl, you know, never afraid to speak his mind. Um, <laughs> I think in a lot of ways our mental health got better today, our focus got better today, and, and he and uh, Wally Walker, the general manager, basically, you know, said, like, hey, you know, he was great for us, even though, you know, things obviously – Things had not gone well for a while. Um, there was some talk about the. There were some accusations from um, anonymous accusations that he had an issue with alcohol during the time, which he was upset with and felt the team didn't defend him from. Um, but he wasn't the only one who was unhappy there. Uh, Vin Baker wasn't really happy in Milwaukee. He had some runs with the uh, coaching staff, although he was sort of you know kind of considered a good citizen. Um, kind of ironic given that um what would later happen that the the alcohol concerns were with camp not with evan baker um and um but the bucks you know they did get a couple good players i mean tarot brandon was real good and tyrone hill was you know was pretty solid so um you know they they actually did seem to do okay there um you know it was kind of a a team where like it it sort of made sense from every side given the fact that yeah yeah the bucks could lose baker the camp wasn't happy with the uh, sonics and the you know the Cavs. you know even though they sacrificed some depth and they lost guys in free agency they did you know they camp was someone who they could build around and you know be the next kind of the next you know theoretically the next incarnation of the team and you know and, and contend you know in a couple of years once they could build around him they had some cap space as well which some of which they used to increase camp salary but yeah and the fact that they were they actually averaged the fewest points per game under mike fratello in 42 years part of that was because the nba you know the stylistic was slowing down but part of that was just like you know the, the, the Cavs were just you know they had uh you know, terrell brandon uh, tyrone hill mark west chris mills and bobby phils as the, <laughs> uh, kind of their main guys so that's a, that's a slow team yeah, not ideal, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, one of those rare trades, and there was a lot in the 90s that we can, that, you know, we'll discuss in the future and ones that we've discussed in the past that a lot of these deals where it's like, yeah, everything kind of works out for everybody. It's like these trades where, you know, guys, a uh, star trades for a star, and it's just like, yeah, our star is not happy, and you know, what about trading? And, and like, you know, in, in some of those cases, it's very rare now. We never, we very rarely see trades like that where it's just like, hey, this guy needs to change the scenery. Let's see what happens, and you move him to a team, and, and, and one of those rare deals where pretty much everybody seems like they got what they needed out of the trade and everybody seems like there wasn't like one team that's obviously like well this is it we're packing up here you can take this guy but this is a trade where all three teams could justifiably say hey look we either improved slightly or stayed about the same but nobody i think came away from this trade saying oh thank god we're way worse than we were you know a day ago so that that sort of it was all about improving on every single trade and and getting your team better and then this is definitely a case of one of those where, where it seemed like everybody sort of got exactly what they wanted out of it Another big trade for just a few days later, early October, Antonio McDice goes from uh, Denver to um, Phoenix, and uh, there's a, several picks involved that Denver gets, and um, and Cleveland got uh, Tony Dumas and Wesley Person, you know, kind of shore up a little bit of their depth they'd lost in that uh, trade. Uh, th- those picks that the uh, the the Suns acquired a 2005 first round draft pick that w- that became Sean May. And they traded a 98 first-round draft pick that became Tyron Liu, a 99 first-round draft pick that became James Posey, a 2002nd-round pick that became <laughs> became Dan McClintock, a 2001 first-round draft pick that became Joseph Forte, 
Day and a 2002 second round draft pick that became Rod Grizzard. That all those all went to the um, Nuggets. So I yeah, actually, um, well, I guess Posey was really the only like really good player in there. Tyron Lue was you know was pretty solid. The guys I don't know much about, but um, that was a, an interesting trade and um, and led to a really good season for Phoenix and then some weirdness when McDice went back to Denver the next season. <laughs> Yeah, this, uh, this is a very odd trade. That even even historically, it always looks just crazy. Especially, I mean, it's just a lot of draft picks, and of course, like I, again, like you're saying that, like maybe it wasn't like this transcendent thing that you would have thought of at the time with so many first round picks getting set, and the best guys being you know, probably Tyron Lue and, and, and to a lesser extent, you know, a guy like a Sean May. But uh, just a really weird, crazy trade where it just like unloaded everything, and then like you said, the, the weirdness of McDice just going right back to Denver when it was all said and done is is, is unique. So uh, yeah, not, uh, not a great move by Phoenix, probably. Yeah, but, you know, it ended up not being as not being as bad as it maybe could have been no yeah and we'll get into there there'll be plenty of time to get kind of into you know what happened with mcdice that year and yeah. uh mm-hmm. him going back but that's an interesting one yeah so they um so uh yeah a couple other notable extensions uh michael finley extended for the mavericks he just been traded there from the suns in the jason kidd trade um yeah, from yeah to the to the Mavericks from the from the Suns, yes, and uh, five years, forty two million. I uh, got mixed up there just very briefly, uh, and the big one was uh, Kevin Garnett um, on the deadline uh, signing a deal for uh, six years, one hundred and twenty three million, which um, was the um, which was considered the called the richest contract in professional sports history. Beat uh, Shaquille O'Neal's uh, one hundred twenty million seven year deal with the uh, Lakers. So. Um, and uh, Garnett at the time was, I mean, he was definitely, like, he was an all-star. He was, you know, considered someone who was capable of big things, but was definitely not, like, proven yet at all um, in the right. league. I mean, you know, was, like, on the path, but um, it was definitely something that kind of shook a lot of people in terms of, you know, guy coming straight out of high school, just a few, just, you know, three years into it, just getting this huge money at such a young age. And, uh, you know, there was, it was already kind of the, you know, there, there was already fear of this within the league and fear of, you know, like, um, I mean, we've talked about this a lot of different times and this goes back to the seventies with, you know, guys being drafted guys, you know, getting these big contracts and creating tensions within the team because, you know, veteran, because the, the salary structure is rising so quickly that the guys who have had contracts are, you know, established veterans are getting less money than these newcomers who, you know, seem unproven and you're getting, you're paying on this potential rather than what they're actually producing a lot of times. And that obviously like creates, I mean, obviously the, the management labor aspect of it, if the player doesn't perform, um, but there's also the inter team tension created through that and the jealousy throughout the league. And this, you know, obviously kind of transforms the system leads to the lockout and leads to, you know, they're the, actually the rookie contract has already been established. This is the first draft in which, you know, the rookie salary structure has been mm-hmm. established, which I think right. alleviates some of those issues, but then, you know, creating a financial system that, you know, um, more favors ownership than previously had, um, you know, whether you agree or not that this, you know, these salaries were out of whack. I mean, it, it did seem kind of like a panic that was, um, you know, um, obviously the league's doing great now, so it, it's easy to kind of, you know, poo-poo some of this, but, uh, you know, at the time there was a lot of concerns about like, um, I think we're going to get into that in this series of like, you know, okay, what's the future of this league? You know, Jordan, people were kind of seeing the writing on the wall of Jordan being out of the door of this kind of being an 
an era of transition to a younger generation that is different in many respects from like the, that generation of, you know, Jordan Barkley, um, uh, you know, Elijah Juan, Carl Malone, you know, these guys who are getting in their mid and late thirties and have kind of been carrying the league for the past decade. And now this younger generation of less certain, less established, less like, um, you know, guys who kind of came up in a different path and didn't come up through like the regular college system and, you know, international guys and all that. And it just creating a lot of, I think, anxiety, you know, kind of within and without the league and also the, um, you know, an image, you know, that like guys like Allen Iverson and different guys are coming in with who of like a, um, you know, more empowered black athlete, you know, less willing to be, you know, kind of accommodating like some maybe, you know, the, uh, you know, with the guys, with the way they're dressing and the way they're acting and, you know, the attitude that they're displaying for lack of a better term. Right, and, and the big money too. I mean, and that's like you know, Garnett's a guy that, that we talk about, and this this deal's you know shocking when you when you see the numbers, and especially shocking when you look at what other guys in the league were making at this time. And I think it's a, it's a testament to how much the league had sort of grown in in, in the last decade. Is that you know by 1997, this offseason, um, you got a guy like Garnett who who you know signs for six years, 123 million dollars. You have Shaq who the prior year signs for you know 127 year or whatever. But then you still have guys like a Scottie Pippen who was still on the deal that he signed in you know like 1992, 93 or whatever. I think 91, 92. And it's like, you know, five year five million dollars a year. And that's like still one of your best players, one of your best stars. But it's like, yeah, you locked into this deal in nineteen ninety one and this league now over the last, you know, six, seven years has grown to such astronomical heights that Scottie Pippen becomes, you know, one of the you know, the he's out of I think he's out of the top five in terms of his team, in terms of like single year payments or whatever. And it's like you have a weird system here where like again, and, and this often happens with sports and it happens in, 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 in a lot of labor issues uh in terms of sports, is that when it reaches a point where the rookies and, and the younger players seem to be getting a lot more than the veterans, uh, particularly like, you know, not necessarily a lot more, but like a shockingly a, a more than, than some of the veterans that it begins to say, okay, this maybe is a little out of whack. We need to sort of regulate this a little bit to, to sort of let the veterans still make their amount of money and then let the rookies, you know, make theirs. But I think more than anything, what's really interesting about this deal. And, and I think it did kick off uh, a little bit more of what we'd see with, you know, rookie contracts and, 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 uh, and high school players and that sort of stuff is that the Timberwolves, as you said, like, you know, Garnett's good, but he's not great at this point, but they're basically assuming, you know, almost for the first time in, in, in history. I mean, you really don't see deals like this, you know, prior to this, where the Timberwolves are going out there and saying, hey, look, we think this guy is going to be a transcendent star. We're going to lock him up for six years. We're going to lock him up to the richest contract ever. And this is a guy who really hasn't proven it on the court quite yet. And that seemed at the time, and, and you read quotes, and it's it's a shock to the system. I mean, people are not prepared for it. People are not really ready to understand that, hey, look, this guy's, you know, 21 at this point, 22, but we think once he grows and becomes 23, 24, 25, 26, he is going to be a great player. And, and that just wasn't the case when you didn't have guys come from high school, when you had a lot of players being three or four year guys pretty much when they were in the league you knew if they could play or not this is Garnett where like we know he's he's, he's okay we know he's good but we don't know that he's great yet and and this could really have blown up in their faces and really was a deal where it's like okay is this what we're we've really set the standard now that like guys that we think are going to be good we're going to pay them a lot of money and that that was different that was unique at this time yeah it, it is more for potential than it had been you previously I mean, there were definitely were guys yeah. you know you, you know 70s 80s and 90s who were you know signing for what was kind of considered big money at the time but this was just it on another scale and you know with a, a guy who was younger and just uh, you know um you know, because obviously the nba had grown as a support i mean the you know the, the guys the money that the guys were making in the 70s was was good money was bigger than it had been made before but this is a just on such a 
grander scale and the amount of long term and you know and, and some of that in the 70s and early 80s was you know as we talked about before some of that was deferred money so it wasn't quite costing the the owners as much as it you know would yeah what, what is guaranteed basically everything has to be up front so um or at least you know we paid out in the six years so no, no more deferred you know payments like that so yeah it, it just it, it it was kind of a revolutionary thing at um at the time and obviously garnett you know was more than uh, proven to be more than worth it but that was definitely a question at the time even though you know he definitely looked like he had the tools and was you know was an incredible talent so yeah, yeah i mentioned um, scotty pippen earlier and, and where he ranked uh oh, sorry, sorry not to interrupt, but i mentioned uh, scotty pippen a little bit earlier and where he ranked in terms of salary so here's here's the bulls 1990 uh 798 salary so you have michael jordan uh what we'll talk about here in a little bit but uh he signed to a, a pretty decent uh one-year deal 33.1 million dollars uh ron harper at 4.5 tony kukoc at 4.5 dennis robin at 4.5 luke longley at 3.1 and then scotty pippen at 2.7 so you have you know ron harper tony kukoc Dennis Rodman, Luke Longley, all those guys making more uh, than Scottie Pippen had made, mostly because he was kind of locked into a deal, and there was really, uh, at that time, not a real good way to restructure a deal without a trade, and that's a big reason why the Bulls kept trying to trade him. It's like, all right, well, you can get a new deal if you get traded, but if you're here, we, there's not much we can do, uh, and that was another big issue as well, is you got a guy there, you know, you know, a perennial, uh, you know, second, you know, the second best guy on a team that had just, you know, won back-to-back championships, and, you know, it was going for a repeat, three-peat, and, and, you know, he's he's out of the top five in his own team in salary, so you would seen how just the rapid change that had gone on uh, in the NBA and the, and the salaries and the, the explosion of the salaries and how deals were, were getting made. So it's just a, a pretty uh, pretty fun there. But yeah, he's not even in the top, uh, I think he's not even in the top 100 of salaries that year as well, where you got guys like Brian Stith is like 59th at, at $4 million. You know, Brian Williams for Detroit, he's at 58 with, with $4 million. I mean, Billy Owens uh, for Sacramento. It, it, it was all about when you would sign these deals and guys that were locked in really felt uh, on the outside looking in. Yeah, and, and that still does happen to a degree in the NBA today. Obviously, you know there was the the, the really big cap spike for you know a, a year or two, and and the guys who happen to be free agents got bigger money than you know were than the guys who were free agents this summer and probably next summer are going to be able to get. So it, it's certainly not like they're it's completely out of the woods, but it was definitely I, I think a a more disruptive system than it had previously had been you know whether you want to argue whether it's actually fair for the players or you know guys are getting really the value that they should be getting or what have you that's a different conversation but in terms of the way that it had kind of the effect that it had uh, you know among the players and certainly in the league I, I think it's a um it was a a more chaotic system than than I think it largely is today so anyway, uh, Rich, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to uh, discuss about the uh, 97 offseason? Uh, no, I think I think we got it all uh, there. Well, uh, a lot of interesting stuff coming up, and uh, it's going to be an interesting season, so we're going to uh, follow it the whole way through. But uh, yeah, it's uh, a little bit of moving and shaking in the league, but uh, yeah, mostly in, in the coaching ranks. And, and the big story is, you know, if the Bulls are going to be able to, to, to make a, a three-peat, uh, if the Jazz have anything to say about it, and if any other teams emerge, and, and how some uh, some new faces new places do as well. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting season, a, uh, a transcendent season in a lot of ways. So it'll be exciting to kind of talk about it uh, um, over the next uh, few months here. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm excited about uh, trying this out, uh, both the uh, podcast series and the uh, Twitter account. So, yeah, if you follow um, NBA 20 years ago, we have uh, a, a live, I'm putting that in finger quotes, uh, not that you could see that on a podcast, but um, uh, tweets of what was happening uh, <laughs> 20 years ago in the uh, NBA. So uh, if, whether there was big news that day or you know, things like game results and 
so lots of cool uh some cool videos some gifs stuff like that so um hopefully that will be a lot of fun we're still kind of playing around with exactly how we're going to be doing that but oh it, it should be fun and we'll be doing the uh podcast series of course you can follow us uh, regularly at over and back nba both on facebook and uh, twitter you can find us at the step back at fan sided and you can uh, search for over and back on itunes stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast we would appreciate a uh, rating and review if you enjoy what we're doing so uh thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon